Hello, Health Investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Greg Morrissey. Greg Morrissey is the founder of Mountain Goat Movement. In addition to teaching high school literature and coaching ice hockey and lacrosse, Greg spent the last 10 years building human-powered adventures for high school and college students in the greater New York City area. He has led thousands of young people on treks, climbing trips, surf trips, ski trips, sustainability programs, and more, both domestically and internationally. In the episode, Greg shares thrilling stories about some of his past treks, how lessons he learned on mountaineering adventures can enrich your daily life, mindset work he does to prepare for new explorations, and more. But before we get to the episode, I want to share one of my favorite resources with you, thrivemarket.com. I don't know about you, but I used to think eating healthy meant I had to spend a lot of time and money at the grocery store. That is until I discovered Thrive Market. Thrive is an online grocery shopping platform that's essentially a mix of Costco, Whole Foods, and Amazon. Since Thrive delivers groceries directly to your door, they're able to cut out all middle people and heavily discount their inventory. When I buy groceries on Thrive versus going to my local supermarket, I save at least $20 per order, and I'm able to fill up the cart from the comfort of my couch. To read my full Thrive Market review, steal my shopping list of over 150 items, and save additional money on your first order, visit thehealthinvestment.com slash Thrive Market, or just click through the link in the show notes. All right, it's time to hear from Greg. Enjoy. I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Greg. Thanks so much for joining me on the Health Investment Podcast. Hey, Brooke. It's great to be here with you. Thank you so much. The reason I had that tone of, hi, Greg, is because we're friends. This is really fun for everybody listening. (laughs) Um, We, Greg and I, have known each other for, let's see, I was at prep teaching for eight years, and then I've been away for about three. So I guess it's about 11 years now, right? Over, uh, or you started maybe, did you start a couple years after me? Yeah, you did. Yeah. Um, So I taught at prep for nine years, left in June. So maybe it's been 10 years. Oh, okay. Perfect. Well, anyway, we've known each other for a long time. We both used to teach high school English at St. Peter's Prep in Jersey City, and we shared a classroom for many years and then host did homeroom together, which was a whole thing. <laughs> Snotty little ninth graders coming in that we didn't know. We didn't teach them and a lot of attitude. We were at an all boys school. So you can only imagine if you're listening, we've, we've seen it all. We've dealt with a lot of uh, teenage angst and a lot of great kids too. A lot of really good kids. But um 
really cool to be connecting with you because I left a few years ago to start my own career in the nutrition space. And now you have left St. Peter's Prep to start your new career uh, as the founder of Mountain Goat Movement. So I would love, I mean, go ahead and share your background with us. Talk about whatever it is that you want to talk about in terms of teaching that led you here or hosting trips as you did. But what inspired you to start Mountain Goat Movement? Sure. Thank you, Brooke. Um, So like Brooke said, uh, we were both English teachers at St. Peter's Prep. And during this time, I also coached lacrosse and hockey. Um, And being that prep is located in downtown Jersey City, oftentimes, um, you know, beautiful outdoor landscapes like the mountains and the the ocean is often an afterthought. And so my first year at prep, I kind of took my passions and my love of the outdoors to try to build a, a meaningful outdoor ed adventure program. Um, And so for nine years at prep, I had the great privilege of taking young people between the ages of 14 and 18 to national parks, to the Andes in Peru, um, to the Pyrenees on the the French-Spanish border um, with a focus on activities like skiing, surfing, hiking, climbing, trekking, camping. Um, and all the while this was taking place, I was also spending using my summers as a teacher to complete human powered adventures. So for example, one summer in 2017, one of our colleagues, Pete Geary and I, uh, cycled from Canada to Mexico. Um, and that trip took about 30 days and we were unsupported. Um, we cycled the entire West coast and we used that um, experience to kind of fundraise for our guys back at prep. So thanks to contributions from the American Alpine Club, Cliff Bar, and Cavu, we managed to raise about $40,000. And those funds went directly towards uh, disadvantaged young people at prep to participate in global exchanges and outdoor ed programming. Um, in 2020, I was inspired by the model that I had built up at prep And especially with folks um, being in isolation and, you know, the world at large having so many unknowns, I figured that that model could work beyond the walls of prep. And so I started Mountain Goat Movement. Um, And so the intention of my organization is to focus on young people, um, specifically high school and college age students, um, to provide them with meaningful outdoor adventures um, at home and abroad all while connecting them to my network of explorers and climbers and um, outdoor athletes. So cool. When you were saying uh, you used to take the prep kids on these different excursions, what great experiences for them. I know the ski trip was always really big. And then you would give up so much of your time on spring break or in the summer to take kids on these incredible mountaineering experiences, which literally sounds like my worst nightmare. (laughs) First of all, I'm not a mountaineer myself. I'm not a big outdoorsy person. But uh, when I first started teaching, I was in Brooklyn at a middle school. And we used to take the kids on a lot of trips just on the New York subway system. And those were my least favorite days because it's like wrangling kids outside of the classroom is a whole thing. And what if they get injured? What if they get lost? So I can't imagine taking kids outside of the classroom 
and onto a mountain. That just, that sounds like a lot. So good on you for giving them those experiences. Have you always been really interested in hiking in the outdoors or is that something that came to you later in life? Yeah. So I grew up in New Jersey. Um, and you know, you certainly don't think of mountain ranges when you hear New Jersey, but um, I was very fortunate to grow up in a two-parent home, and both my parents were very outdoor-oriented. Um, I was in Boy Scouts through my senior year of high school, and you know, I'd always have—I I was always like that type of kid who couldn't stop moving and would want to play manhunt or freeze tag or you know find local parks that hadn't been explored. Um, and so, I think it's always been a part of my DNA to kind of explore these wild places. And then after college, when um, I played college across when that ended and I no longer had an obligation to team sports. Um, I went full in on uh, more of those like uh, solo type adventures, like camping, climbing, surfing. Um, I'm definitely not a master of any activity in particular. Um, my strengths are probably in the mountains, but I'm just kind of like a jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> and I have found like these activities for me were always very fun. Um, but when I go out and lead people, especially young people, I find it to be very fulfilling. So it's it's kind of a niche thing to get into, but I absolutely love it. It's very rewarding um, to work with folks in various outdoor capacities. And so great that you're willing to do that because somebody should, and it's not going to be me. <laughs> Thomas, as you know, Thomas and I, my husband and I live in Northern California now, and we live in the Bay Area and everybody out here is always driving around with their kayak on the top of their car and their camping stuff and they're hiking every weekend. And when you meet somebody new, their first question is, where do you hike? And we both just kind of look at each other because our hikes are more urban hikes, as we call them, walking around the city, stopping at a happy hour, checking out a new restaurant. So we were perfect when we lived in New York and now living in the Bay Area. We're the weirdos who don't love the hikes in the mountains as much, but they're really cool. You yeah. what? I'm the weirdo out in New Jersey, so I think we might have to swap. Places. I know. Seriously, anytime. You let me know. <laughs> Take it. me back. Take me back to yeah, New York. Absolutely. But, uh, I mean, if I ever have a child and they would like to do outdoorsy stuff, I will just ship them off to you because Perfect. you're the one who can. Hopefully I'm still doing this by then. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure you will be. I'm sure you will be. So what was your first big climb as an adult? Because you've done some biggies at this point, but what was sure. your first one? Um, so I guess like there is a difference between climbing, hiking, and mountaineering. Oh. So, um, yeah. So climbing, typically there are variations of climbing, um, but you think of rock climbing and ice climbing. Um, typically anytime ropes are involved outside of free soloing, um, we would consider that climbing. And then hiking is more, you know, you're just kind of on your feet. And mountaineering is basically a combination of all of those things. And that can also incorporate even skiing. So right now I would consider myself a ski mountaineer. Um, so what I like to do as opposed to necessarily going on ski resorts is I like to climb mountains and find backcountry areas and then, you know, find lines or powder that hasn't been touched and ski that. Um, but I would say there was a moment in college that kind of really jump-started my love for these adventures, and that was actually in California. So going into my senior year of college, I had about a month off, and so 
I went cross country and found myself in Kings Canyon um, in the Sierra Nevada range. And so I spent about three weeks backpacking through there. It was a pretty wild experience. Um, I was with a friend for the first week and then unfortunately he got altitude sickness and had to turn around. And I had the choice of either continuing on solo or going back with him. And I would never advise anyone to do this, but I continued solo and I was in the middle of nowhere, didn't see anyone for several days. Um, crazy situation. At one point, I ran into a nudist colony in Kings Canyon. Of course you did. Uh, yes, a group, <laughs> uh, a group of four or five older men in their 70s who were just kind of basically living out of a tent. And so I got to kind of have some dinner with them for a few nights. Um, but that was like, I loved it because it was so encompassing of everything that I love about adventure. Like you go into this unknown foreign place, um, you think you have a plan and whatever happens, like something will happen to derail that plan. And that's what happened to me. And, you know, sometimes on these adventures, it's easy to, you know, kind of say like, I wish I was home right now. I wish I had, you know, a hot meal, a nice bed. Um, but it's always after the adventure where I'm like, wow, I, you know, I can't believe I just did that. I can't believe I had this experience. I have this story. And that was like the beginning of the, I guess, addiction, so to speak, like that trip um, motivated me to want to constantly be outside and find new ways to explore um, remote places. Wow. I'm sure. Did your parents have any idea that you were solo at one point or they, you had, hadn't no been <laughs> yeah, they had no idea? Do um, they still know to this day or is this podcast going to be the first time um, they learned about yes, this? <laughs> yes, they know now. It's actually funny. Like um, my folks and I were talking about how this really all started when I was a kid um, and in eighth grade that summer going into high school, um, I was in the Boy Scouts and a group of us, including my dad, we did a, a two week trek across New Mexico. And there was a day where a couple buddies and I went off on our own and we got seriously lost. And long story short, um, my dad had to call a helicopter rescue to find us. Oh my gosh. And, yeah. Yeah. And that was like, looking back, you know, of course, like my parents were absolutely livid. Like, how could you do this? It's so selfish to go off and, you know, think that you're more important than nature. But looking back now as an adult who leads young people, um, I'm grateful that I had that experience because I realized at an early age, like how um, the, the nature and the outdoors are always more pow powerful than you are. Um, and it was very humbling to have that experience because I think critically about preparation on personal trips and, and guided trips. Well, it's important for you to think critically because I'm sure the teenage <laughs> the teenagers you're taking on these trips are not thinking as critically as you. So. That is very true. Yeah, <laughs> they're probably still in that mindset of you as a child of, oh yeah, yeah, go yeah. wherever I want, I'll be fine. Nature's yeah. nothing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hey there, health investor. I hope you're enjoying the episode. Just popping in here for a quick minute to share an exciting opportunity with you. Outside of hosting this podcast, I work as a nutrition coach specializing in sustainable weight loss. If you've been struggling to lose weight and actually keep it off, I'd love to connect with you in my group or one-on-one -on -one coaching program. Unlike restrictive, hard-to-follow diets that only provide short-term results, I help you adopt science-backed habits and an everything-in-moderation mindset so that you can lose weight permanently feel completely in control of your cravings, have steady energy throughout the day, 
and stick with healthy habits long-term. To learn more about my coaching programs and apply to work with me, visit thehealthinvestment.com or follow me on Instagram at thehealthinvestment. Now back to the episode. Has there been a moment when you have been on one of these, I guess, do you call it, you wouldn't call it a hike. You call it a mountaineering expedition or what do you call it? I guess like across avenues of adventure, whether it be hiking, climbing or mountaineering. um, Yeah. Definitely been like some moments that have come up. Never moments where it was like life or death type of thing, but Um, I think what I've learned over the last several years is like any mountain, any landscape can be dangerous. So a good example of this is, you know, Killington Ski Resort in Vermont. You know, that is on resort. Like there are hotels there. Like it is as luxury as it gets. Um, This past winter, uh, we had a serious cold snap in the Northeast. And there was one day on Killington that they had to shut down the entire resort. And I was up there. Um, and the temperature on the summit dropped to about negative 30. And <laughs> I love to, you know, ski tour. So even though they closed down all the lifts and everyone went inside, I decided to go out with my skis and they're called skins. It's a material that you put beneath your skis so that you can climb up a mountain. So I skinned up Killington. Um, and when I got to the summit, like it was very cold. It was definitely negative 30. Um, And when I got up to the summit, I told myself, you know, I'll just do one run right back to the hotel. I've been to this mountain for years and years. You know, this is a no biggie. It's just cold. Um, Well, when I was on the summit, there was a complete whiteout. And I actually got stuck um, on this resort that I've known for so many years. And it took me forever to get back down. And it was it was actually kind of scary. Um, but that just go, that's like one of the messages that I'll relay to kids or anyone that I bring outdoors is like, you know, anything can happen on any day and any mountain, any landscape. Um, I would say like one of the stories that I love to tell my family around the bonfire is, um, my younger cousin who just graduated college. He's a very good climber. Um, Matt and I went up to the Adirondacks, which is actually the largest protected park in the United States um, around the Lake Placid region, New York. We went up to the Adirondacks and the Adirondacks is famous for having what's called the Adirondack 46ers. So these are 46 peaks that are above 4,000 feet. And, you know, folks try to spend like a lifetime climbing all 46ers and out on the East Coast, like, you know, in, in, in the hiking world, you know, it people are really proud to call themselves an 80K 46er, which some folks can do it over a few years. Others, it takes years and years. Um, There is a range in the Adirondack mountain range called the Great Range Traverse. So Traverse is when you link peaks together over the course of a day. And so Matt and I wanted to do this Great Range Traverse. It's about 12 peaks, um, 30 miles, 10,000 vertical feet up, 10,000 vertical feet down. It's definitely like a big day. Most folks try to do it over two or three days. And our goal was to do it under 24 hours. And so Matt and I left the New York City area. We drove the four hours north to Adirondack Park. We pulled up to like a car camping spot um, around 10 o'clock at night. Matt set up his tent. I set up mine. Um, And around midnight, while we were both sleeping, we started hearing rustling in the woods. And long story short, 
a bear, a black bear, actually started to come over to Matt's tent. And Matt started screaming. He started shouting. I woke up. Um, I had no idea what was going on. Um, you know, we at the time, we didn't actually know it was a black bear. We just knew something big was looming over Matt's tent. So because Matt was screaming and shouting, the black bear left his tent and he came over to mine and he actually pressed his paws on my tent and I could feel his weight. And so I just started kicking his paws. He left my tent and at the time I had a soft top um, Jeep Wrangler. We had food in the back of that Jeep. And so what happened was he smelled that food and he actually tried to get in through the soft top window. And so it's actually kind of cool. Like, even though I no longer have that car, I do have the soft top and there's a, a massive bear claw, like running down um, the back of the window. But that happened to us. And then we knew to start the Great Range Traverse, we had to hit the trail at like 3 a.m. And so from midnight till 3 a.m., we were just kind of freaked out by the whole thing. Um, but we were still really motivated to see if we could do the Great Range Traverse. And fortunately, we did. We did it about 21 hours. Um, but we were definitely rattled and we were kind of fatigued and exhausted. And that was one of those days where it was like, you know, this is this is real. Um, but, you know, now it's of course, it's a great story amongst friends and family. Yeah, this is this is just illustrating that we are cut from a different cloth because <laughs> the words are using to describe that of, oh, it's kind of cool now. And we were, you know, we were kind of rattled, but we still wanted to do it. I mean, I would have lost my mind and not completed the trek and probably never gone into nature again. I mean, that is terrifying. Well, this is this is what I need to stay healthy. Like otherwise, I'd go crazy, and yeah. you know, I do need to tighten up my diet. I can't imagine how big I'd be if I didn't go out doing these long traverses and hikes <laughs> and climbs and things like that. Um, but yeah, no, definitely, it's it's like one of those things where um, you know the community amongst outdoor adventure athletes it's pretty small, but especially with like COVID and all the recent uptick in folks getting on trails like it's definitely an ever-growing uh community of outdoor enthusiasts well and i think that's such a good point you make of this is something you've realized you need to thrive and i talk with clients all the time the majority of them are trying to eat healthy long term and ditch all the restrictive dieting and most have some type of weight loss goal but what i say is we're ultimately just trying to figure you out and figure out what are your puzzle pieces that make you tick mm. and what makes you thrive and what makes you look and feel your best. And it's going to be different from me. A lot of the same principles will be true in terms of the types of foods we eat that are going to help us feel more energized and confident and to look our best. But the exact mix of foods or the times we eat, all of those things are going to be different. So I think it really comes down to you know, living the most fulfilled, optimal life, this idea of self-awareness and what makes you tick, you know? And so I think you talked about this being a small community, but still, if you guys weren't doing this, you would be unfulfilled whether you realized it or not. And so, you know, the thing that is not fulfilling to me is extremely fulfilling to you. And how great that you're also introducing kids to this world who, you know, I'm sure some of these people 
maybe didn't figure out until later on in life if there weren't opportunities available to them that they that this is a passion. And so maybe kids are learning that earlier on and thriving from a younger age than if they were to realize at 25 that mountaineering is something they're really interested in. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, when I taught um, senior literature at prep, one of the books that I taught was called Man's Search for Meaning. It's by Viktor Frankl. Um, It's one of the most influential books in the world. Um, And Frankl, one of the takeaways from that, from his book is like, you need to set goals, right? Goals provide meaning in your life. Um, And so for me, like it's always been if I can get a climb or an expedition or something on the calendar six months out, then I know that I can be disciplined and hold myself accountable to ensuring that I can give myself the best opportunity possible to go summit this mountain or complete this expedition. Um, Cause I think otherwise it is very difficult to your point um, to, you know, be healthy. Like I think that for me and probably a lot of the young men that I work with in particular, like, having a goal and seeing a, creating a system or a process by which you can follow daily and weekly to put yourself in a position where you can obtain that goal is, is very valuable in terms of uh, healthy practices. Yeah. I've had clients who need to always kind of have some type of race on the calendar, whether it's a 5k or a half marathon And that just really helps them, you know, they'll do one and then they'll book another one. And whether it's three or six months out, knowing that this other race is coming up, just keeping your body physically fit for that, that can be super motivating. Or for other people, it's weekly classes, whether they're spin classes that they show up at or, you know, working with a personal trainer or working with a coach on nutrition, just having some type of external accountability seems to be really helpful if you have, even if it's, you know, yesterday I went through and scheduled strength training for myself this week. Mm. And so even if it's just, you know, tomorrow, I know, again, I'm doing strength training and I'm doing it on Friday because I put it into my calendar. Um, Having something outside of ourselves that is that type of goal and kind of written down, or it's more, you know, it's not just this idea in our mind of, oh, I want to go on, I want to climb a mountain at some point, or, you know, it's not just floating up there. You actually put it in the books and it's okay. This week is the week I'm doing this. And so I have from now until then to prep for that. And that can be hugely helpful. I think just for health in general. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. This, this past summer, I took a group of high school and college students up Kilimanjaro, um, the highest point in Africa, which Kilimanjaro is interesting because it's one of the few big mountains in the world that's accessible via trekking and hiking. So, you know, it's it's very safe in terms of like ropes never come out. Like it's not a, a climb, it's a hike, it's a trek. Um, but, you know, so many folks never summit Kilimanjaro. I think the success rate is about 65%. And that's because they underestimate the mountain. And so my message to a lot of these young kids, especially many of them being athletes and, and pretty good athletes, was you need to do everything possible over the course of this year to make sure that if you don't summit, you can look back on that trip and say, hey, like the journey was absolutely worth it because I transformed myself through the following ways. Um, And so, yeah, I think, you know, putting things in writing on the calendar or even like the act of paying a deposit, like you said, for a race, 
um, is like, oh, wow, okay, this is this is real. Like it's in writing, it's out there. My friends, my family know about it. I need to do my absolute best to uphold to the standards that I'm setting for myself here. What a cool idea to prep the kids. Because I, I would imagine, I know, didn't you say when we talked about this before, all of you guys ended up summiting, right? Yeah, so we all summited, um, which was really exciting. So no That's one came great. home with any regrets or what ifs. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I think the mental preparation, especially with kids, mm. because maybe as adults, maybe we're a little bit more able to deal with that if we have this goal of summiting Kilimanjaro and we don't do it being able to deal with that. But for a teenager or somebody in their young or early twenties, that could be really tough if you're not expecting that. And then it happens. And so the last thing you want is for a kid to walk away from this, just, you know, hating hiking and, you know, thinking, I thought this was going to be awesome and just being super hard on themselves. So I love that. I love that you work with them on the mindset stuff. What, what other type of mindset work do you do or do you do with the kids in order to prep them for these expeditions? Um, I think when it comes to expeditions, one of the things that I'm a big proponent of is trying to provide them with experience where they can expect like what it might feel like to be in a foreign environment. So You know, it's not like for Kilimanjaro, we go to Africa and train on these other mountains or being on the East Coast, you know, our biggest mountain is like a little over 5,000 feet. Um, And so for us, like, how do you mimic the feeling of being at 19,000 feet for a summit like Kilimanjaro? Um, You know, I think it comes down to like, at least for Kilimanjaro, it was providing them with weekends away in the Adirondacks where we had big days. So... One weekend, we went up to the Adirondacks and we tried to do as many peaks as possible over the course of 26 hours on four hours of sleep. And so that fatigue, that exhaustion is kind of mimics what you might feel at 19,000 feet when you lose a third of your oxygen. Um, And so, you know, that's one way of doing it. The other thing in terms of mindset is you have to be positive on expeditions. Like there are things that, of course, are going to come up that you otherwise that you didn't plan for. Um, like for example, one time I was up in the Adirondacks with a group and we filter water. So you have a water pump, we go into streams or waterfalls, we filter our water and then we pour that water into our, our water bottles. Um, we were filtering at a waterfall and, um, an 18 year old kid dropped the water filter. And so we had another like six or seven miles to go without any water. Um, And so, you know, what do you do then? And, you know, instead of complaining and, you know, yelling at the kid who dropped this water filter that's now affected the entire day, it's like you have to rework your mindset to say, hey, this is an adventure. And on all adventures, missteps happen. We just got to be positive. We got to come together um, and we got to we got to forget. So, you know, those things happen all the time and it just comes back to positive mindset. one of the things that I like to do with young people on trips is every night around dinner time at camp, we'll do rose bud. So everyone around the table will offer their rose, the highlight of the day, and then a bud. And a bud is when you point to someone in the group and for a few minutes, you talk about how your relationship um, has improved over the course of that trip or expedition. And so I think having those check-in points of community is really important so that folks always understand, like, 
yes, I'm an individual on this trip, but at the same time, I'm a part of a larger team and this team has my back. And as a result, like I am motivated to continue to contribute. Wow. And what valuable life lessons they're gaining, because as you're talking about staying positive, you know, just accepting challenges as they come, the word that just comes to mind is you're just building resilience in them. Mm. of they're going to face challenges in their careers and their relationships, you know, in life in general. And instead of just giving up or thinking this is out of my control, there's nothing I can do about it. Just working on that mindset of flipping the script to, okay, I was dealt these cards today, not ideal. What am I going to do about it? How can I still make this happen for me? Whatever it is, which I think is so important. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like on these trips, you know, a lot of the annoyances come from the little irritations of you're in a tent, a two person tent, which two person tents are always bigger than, you know, smaller than advertised. Like usually a two person (laughs) tent can fit a person in a backpack, but you're in a two person tent, like, you know, you're on trail for seven or eight days. Like you both haven't showered. You've been wearing the same pants. Like there are a lot of annoyances that unfold on these expeditions and trips And like, if you don't go into it mentally prepared for that, like, you know, it's all about kind of envisioning that and um, preparing for that in terms of like, I know this is going to happen. It is what it is. Like, move on. There's nothing we can do. Um, One of our expressions is it's all a part of it. And it's like, if you can do that on a seven day trip um, and, you know, overcome all these little obstacles of annoyances and grievances with folks on your team then why can't you do that on your own when you're at home in normal everyday life? And, you know, of course, things always come up in our lives. And, you know, if, if we can shoulder the burden of, of those things on trips, then hopefully that translates to, um, you know, being at home in our everyday lives. One thing that always used to bother me teaching high school, especially we were at a private school. So I think sometimes the mindset kids or parents can have coming into a private school, maybe a little bit different than a public school in terms of, you know, we're paying for this. I pay you, therefore you work for me, that type of, you know, we get into that nitty gritty kind of weird area with parents sometimes. But when kids would come into the classroom, just airing grievances about another teacher, how annoyed they were and how they were going to try to switch out of that teacher's class. And I'm sure they did that about me and other teachers' rooms. You know, you don't get along with every single kid you teach. But my response would always be, so what? I mean, this is part of it, right? This is part of education and you're not going to have every teacher that you like. And I think the better lessons come from having a full year with the teacher you don't necessarily get along with and figuring that out because guess what in life you're going to have teams that you work on at work or like you said you're going to be sleeping in a tent with somebody that may not be your favorite person and you can't escape these things you have to just kind of push through them and deal with them and again I think that's just such a great lesson all I mean obviously you're taking kids on these trips and they're getting the physicality of the climb and the hike and, you know, whatever type of trip it is and the amazingness of summiting a mountain. But I think they're getting so much more in terms of life skills. Would you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think one thing that's often overlooked um, and maybe understated in society and especially in schools is like 
um, I think we should begin to celebrate those who have the capacity to endure. Um, because if you can endure hardship, then I mean, that's just resilience right there. And, um, one of the things that I'm, I'm trying to advocate on these trips is like, can you go, you know, our summit day on Kilimanjaro took 20 hours. And over the course of those 20 hours, like these guys did not sleep, you know, you're not eating the best food in the world. You're in these tents. It was cold. It was below freezing. Um, you know, and you have blisters and you have all these things going on that, you know, are very distracting and annoying, but they all summited over the course of 20 hours and they did it without headphones. They did it just being in their thoughts, just breathing and thinking about putting one foot in front of the other. Um, and I know like for our team, which comprised of 17 to 26 year olds, like all those guys went back home and they looked at their daily routine differently, you know? Maybe you come back home after Kilimanjaro instead of hitting the snooze button seven times in the morning because you have things that you want to tackle. Maybe you get up right away because you know that you've done something more significant. You've proven that to yourself. And if you can come back and like David Goggins talks about this idea of the cookie jar, like those moments in your life that those harsh, tough moments that you've conquered, you kind of tap into that cookie jar, tap into those moments that you prove to yourself that that you can go above and beyond your own expectations, then, you know, that over time, of course, will play out in your life. And that's like the greatest reward for me in terms of my time in the mountains and in these foreign places is um, I've proven to myself that I can go sometimes for days on very limited supplies and resources and sleep. And then when I come back home in my normal everyday life and in my interactions with my family, my friends, and now starting this company, like, I know that I can go a very long time through hardship because the outdoors have provided that to me over the last 30 plus years. It's that idea almost of they say, start your day with the hardest task and then everything will get better from there, right? Or people will start their day with a freezing cold shower and say, you know, I had that kind of pain first thing in the morning. Not that it has to be that extreme, but it just, that first moment was rough and then everything else was going to be a lot easier. And I'm sure it's the same type of thing now when you're going through hardships in daily life. Yes, they can still be extremely challenging, but when you're looking back on these expeditions, these explorations you've done, when you had the blisters, you hadn't slept for 20 hours, you can think, okay, it's not as bad as that. I mean, I'm sleep deprived now, but I don't have blisters and I have better food available. And you know, you can kind of, it kind of puts things in perspective. Yeah. And I think this also applies to the really, the really serious things of the human condition, like, you know, the loss of a loved one or being diagnosed with a serious illness. Like when these things happen, um, you know, I think you have to endure them. And the way that you do that is like shoulders back, head up, and, you know, you kind of work through these things. And, the more folks put themselves in like challenging environments and opportunities that, you know, on a very small level somehow contribute to resiliency, I think over time compounded, this will help folks deal with um, the real hardships of the human condition. Another thing you said that really stood out to me is without technology, right? The kids aren't using their phones these entire time. These hikes or mountaineering expeditions you're going on, they're not connected to a podcast or music at all times. And I mean, kind of what a treat for them to experience several days or weeks even without that connection to technology. And because I don't know that they really get that in life anymore. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's actually a book that your listeners might enjoy if they haven't already seen it. Um, Colin O'Brady, who's an endurance athlete, he's climbed some of the biggest mountains in the world. He uh, walked across Antarctica. He's done some really cool projects. He recently wrote a book um, called The 12 Hour Walk. And he mm -hmm. talks about this very idea of, you know, leave your house for 12 hours, go for a walk throughout your immediate neighborhood. You know, no headphones. Um, don't go with a buddy. Well, if you do, just be quiet. Like 12 hours of peace and solitude just walking. Um, and it's amazing what you can think about um, over the course of those 12 hours. And so anytime we go into the mountains, like I definitely resonate, that idea resonates with me in terms of like, you know, take it in, like you have an escape, an opportunity right here to tap into the moment in a very real tangible way. Um, and this should hopefully um, allow for some time to think critically about your life for reflection, um, to think about goals, so on and so forth. Like there's a lot that you can do um, when you remove yourself from external factors. Do the kids ever comment on how that experience was for them not having technology for a long time? Yeah, um, I think, um, you know, at the start of every trip, most guys are very hesitant to give up their phones. Um, we usually collect them day one. Um, but then by the end of most of our trips, like most guys, and I would say probably upwards of 90%, um, realize like the importance to have that time just for themselves and just to be fully present in a moment. Um, because, you know, a lot of the young people who I work with, like they grew up in the tech world. Like these are some, these are kids who started using iPads when they were three, four years old. And so they're so used to it. It's ingrained in their day-to-day -day life. Um, and so when you, when you give them a weekend, even just a weekend away from that, that space, like it can be very powerful and impactful. Yeah. I mean, cause we grew up in that weird time before technology and then with it, you know, so we yeah. were just both commenting as we were getting the tech ready for this episode. Neither of us feel yeah. like we're particularly tech savvy and you know, I can do some things, other things I can't really do and I don't really care about. And, um, I, yeah, I, I think every generation probably looks at their childhood longingly of kind of, that was the best way to be <laughs> raised. But I am so grateful that I had to play outside a lot and I had to read and I, you know, had a computer and maybe played Sim City or something and, <laughs> you know, did AIM chat, you know, at, when I was more in high school. But as my in my childhood, I didn't have technology at all. And I think it's just harder and harder to kind of fight it the more Absolutely. tech is introduced, you know, not to say I wouldn't give my kids an iPad. I'm sure I would, but yeah. I, I think it's just all of these lessons that kids are getting on these kind of extreme trips you take, whether like you said, they're a weekend or longer, um, just really incredible stuff that they can learn and take away from that and apply to life. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's what it's all about. And I, you know, we're very fortunate um, with these trips to connect with contemporary explorers, folks who are doing real scientific work. Um, they're mountaineers, they're athletes, they're scientists, they're researchers. Um, and so with a lot of these trips, like we're able to connect these young folks to folks who have created an entire career off of the outdoors. And I think it's good for young people to see like, hey, 
if I might be really passionate about skiing and the ski industry is this massive billion dollar industry, um, you know, maybe when I'm 25 years old, I could legitimately pursue that route. Maybe not as a skier, but there are several companies that I could work for. And so I think um, beyond just like the trip piece, um, you know, you can look at mentoring, you can look at opportunities for work, you can examine um, this idea of like finding your tribe, whereby, hey, you know, maybe you grew up in New York City and, you know, you've never been to the Catskills, which is two hours north, but now you have a community through Mountain Goat to go explore that range. And so, you know, I'm trying to connect all these different pieces together um, and hopefully form meaningful community and learning through uh, the greater outdoors. I'd love if you could share the projects that Mountain Goat Movement is currently working on. Sure. Um, It's all very exciting. So I stepped down from teaching in June and I view Mountain Goat Movement as an extension of teaching. So Mountain Goat Movement is trying to use the outdoors to forge project-based learning projects and service. Um, And so over the next 18 months, you know, we have several domestic outings. It could be day trips down the Jersey Shore where we surf or teach guys how to surf. Um, And then it could, you know, reach beyond that in terms of ski trips this winter, you know, just going to a resort for a weekend. But more of our heavier project based expeditions um, are actually going to be pretty serious and very enjoyable. So One of them is next July and August, um, we're going to take a group of students from Jersey City up to um, the Adirondacks. We are going to climb Mount Marcy, the highest peak in New York. On Mount Marcy is Lake Tier of the Clouds, which is the source point for the Hudson River. So we are going to canoe and kayak from the source point of the Hudson River all the way back to New York Harbor. It's about 315 miles. And so over the course of that two and a half, three weeks, Um, we'll camp along the New York coast and we'll have teachers and explorers come in, you know, maybe just for a day or for a couple nights to offer lectures on the science and history of the Hudson river as it pertains to the New York identity. So that trip, you know, will be a serious undertaking and we're working through logistics right now. Um, beyond that we'll be in the Himalaya in March. Uh, One of my friends, Tendi Sherpa, has been a guide on Everest um, for the last several years. He's led 13 successful summits up Everest. Um, He's now building a school for 46 orphans, all of whom lost their fathers guiding on Everest. And so we're doing a 10-day trek through the Himalaya. Um, So this will just be hiking, walking, no climbing whatsoever. We're not not climbing Everest. Um, (laughs) But we'll have a 10-day trek, and the bulk of the proceeds that we raise from that trek will go towards the building of the school with the hopes that, you know, we'll continue a relationship with Tendi and we'll be able to supply his school with high school and college-age tutors that we could ultimately fly out for a week or two to work with some of their some of their guys. Um, next, New Year's 2024-25, we solidified permits to Antarctica. And so that'll be really cool. So we have a ship. Um, We're going to have spots for 20 guys. So we'll have 10 adults and 10 students. Um, Right now, uh, we are partnering with a few organizations to host a blog away Antarctica competition. So across schools in New Jersey, New York, and Connecticut, we're encouraging high school and student high school and college students to blog about, you know, the things that they're learning and maybe Uh, either the sciences or or the humanities at school and how that correlates to the work that's being done in Antarctica. And we'll choose one blog winner and that student will come to Antarctica for free with us. 
Um, and that trip will be really cool. We have about, we'll be down there for about 12 days. Um, we do a night of camping on the landmass. Um, we do some kayaking. Um, we have a penguinologist who will be with us and, um, we'll probably do some snowshoeing and trekking. Um, along the way through all these trips, we got really lucky. We have, uh, an Emmy winning cinematographer who's going to film for us, um, for the rest of the year. His name's John Barnhart. And John um, actually has a show right now on Amazon Prime called Born to Explore, if you can check it out. He spent the last uh, several years following famous explorers, including uh, Richard Weiss, who was the president of the Explorers Club, and Buzz Aldrin. Um, he is an amazing guy, amazing filmmaker, former college professor. Um, so we're really excited to have um, an educator and explorer on board with our programming. And then beyond that, um, I have some personal exhibitions lined up. So taking an adult group, um, we still have openings January 10th through the 20th uh, up Kilimanjaro. John and I will be leading that trip. And right after Kili on the 20th, I'll fly to Argentina and climb Aconcagua, which is um, the biggest mountain in the Western Hemisphere. Um, and then so that'll be one part of my year ahead. And then the other piece is I'm, I'm building to hopefully pursue a, a couple of projects in Alaska. So, um, you know, the media is so hyper-focused on mountains like Everest and, and, you know, these big peaks that so many books have been written about, but there is endless adventure um, and a lot of unnamed and unclimbed peaks throughout regions like Alaska. So um, the goal over, over these next couple of years is to um, connect with a couple of climbing buddies and go out to Alaska and, um, find an, an unclimbed peak and, and do that. Um, so it's really exciting what we have um, in store for the next 18 months across activities, whether it be skiing, hiking, climbing, trekking, connecting with explorers. Um, we'll be writing for a few folks. So we just uh, released a short story on Kilimanjaro through Cavu, um, who's a major outdoor lifestyle uh, brand based in Seattle. Um, and we're going to continue to build with these explorers and filmmakers and um, schools to hopefully provide a meaningful community um, with trips that are affordable and transformative. So basically, you have nothing going on. Yeah, it'll be a very <laughs> busy, hectic 18 months, um, but it's all very, very exciting. Wow. And, and worth it. That's awesome. One of the final questions I ask each of my guests is, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? What does it mean to make the health investment? Um, I think the first word that comes to mind is consistency. Um, and this is something that I find myself struggling with. Um, the act of making the choice each and every day, or at least trying to win the majority of days in terms of paying attention to your health, your breathing, your stress levels, your activity. Um, and I think if, at least for me, if I can be consistent four or five days out of the week, then I've won the week. You know, we're all human. Like it's completely fine and natural to take a day off or have a cheap meal or cheap meals. Um, but I think this idea of investing, like in order to invest, you want a great return. And so if you're going to invest, you got to invest critically in the sense of, you know, dedicate time, energy and effort to your life so that you can re reap the rewards, um, not only weekly, but also for years to come. I like that idea of win the day. I don't think yeah. about it like that a lot, but I, I saw somebody posting on social media the other day, some journal they use, some paper journal. Okay. And I think it sets it up that way where you have kind of 
work goals and then personal goals for the day. And you kind of go through and check them off. And then at the end of the day, at the bottom, you kind of give, I don't know, a star a check if you won the day. And I thought, you know, when I saw that and when you just said it, that's a cool way to think about it of even just what's the bare minimum I would have to do today to win the day. It doesn't have to be perfect. Right. But it's such a feeling of accomplishment. Speaking of all these incredible adventures you've been on and these huge accomplishments you've had, but just a feeling of accomplishment to win a single day, just to go to bed and feel like you've done the things that you need to do to fuel your body and be successful at work and with relationships. And I don't know. I always love that feeling, you know, when your head hits the pillow and you're like, I did it today. was a good one. (laughs) Absolutely. That's like the feeling that I chase. Yeah. I love that. Well, I am so grateful that you shared your time with us today. What a unique, inspiring episode. Um, Where can listeners follow and find you if they're interested in learning more about Mountain Goat Movement? Thank you so much, Brooke. So you can find us on our website at mountaingoatmovement.com. Feel free to subscribe. We have uh, bi-weekly newsletters coming out about our trips and events and tips for um, navigating the great outdoors. We're also on Instagram at Mountain Goat Movement, um, and you can find us on YouTube. Um, Yes. And then, of course, Facebook, TikTok, and all those other avenues. But we pay attention to the website and Instagram and YouTube. So I really appreciate all the love and support from you, Brooke, and from your listeners. And I'm really excited to see how you continue to build the health investment. Awesome. I'll put links to all of those things. And you mentioned the book and the film. So if people are interested, um, click through the show notes and I'll have all those links readily available. But yeah, I'm going to go subscribe to your newsletter because I don't think I'm subscribed, but I can't wait Thank to... You read about upcoming adventures and obviously to stay connected. There's a phrase at the school we used to teach at that was St. Peter's prep, but everybody called it prep. And so the kids say prep for life. And I think, I mean, you went to prep. So I think that just means that you kind of carry it with you forever. Um, But as a teacher, I think it's kind of the same thing. It's a very, it was a cool space to work in and it's, it was way more like family, than coworkers, and it's just really fun that even though we're on different coasts now we've stayed connected and same with other former colleagues slash family that we had there and i love prep for life for myself not just for the kids (laughs) yeah absolutely this is what it's all about like i think between you know your interest in healthy lifestyles and eating and dieting and my interest in the outdoors like there are always a multitude of ways to collaborate. And at the end of the day, we're both passionate about community and bettering the communities that we serve. And I think that that's what this is all about is just, you know, being a part of community and helping one another out um, as friends and family. Yeah. I love that. Well, can't wait to read more about your adventures. I probably will not be going on one, but I will read all about it and support you from the sidelines. We'll need your advice for dieting and nutrition for some of these major projects. And we're really excited to have you a part of that. Yeah, I would love to chime in um, and work with you guys. But thanks again for being here. It was selfishly for me a great hour because I got to catch up with you. And I look forward to staying connected, Greg. Thank you so much, Brooke. You're the best. (laughs) Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. 
I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.